Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Doug has been unpacking a word that God gave him towards the end of 2021. In this episode, Doug shares the next piece that he shared at a Sunday night revival service on January 9th. He shares how the breakthroughs come when situations seem humanly impossible. God, by divine intervention, brings breakthroughs for supernatural expansion. After this episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardinseasonpodcast.org. There you can download a free 30-day devotional that will encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. If we can pray for you as you seek God's will, just email your request to prayer at somebodycares.org. We would be honored to lift you up in prayer. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. We need the master of the breakthrough. We need the breakthroughs of God. And I began to think about even Paul and Silas, because if we look at what are scriptural keys for breakthrough? The premise is initially is that we all aligned with God, that we all have a love for the Lord because the breakthroughs aren't going to happen until we have a relationship with God and we're aligned with him. So one of those things that we see is the place of singing unto God, worshiping God, praising God. And Paul and Silas, even in their imprisonment, what were they doing? They weren't doing what was in their mind to do. The logical thing is find the key or get somebody to open the doors for us. They began to worship God and sing hymns in the midst of their imprisonment, in the midst of what seemed humanly impossible, this barrier that they could not break. But God brought a divine intervention and busted those gates wide open or those doors wide open. We see in the book of Joshua, we talk about the, the Transjordan side of the river when they were getting ready to cross over and they saw the obstacle of the walls of Jericho. When they went to possess the land, Jericho, the walls were so wide, it was impenetrable. And in fact, it was so impossible that the people inside were probably laughing at the Israelites as they came. And the first day, all they did, God says, I don't want you to do anything except for walk around the walls quietly, quietly. What are we, how is that going to work? And they walked around the walls uh, one day, the next day, another time around the walls, six days, once each day for six days, doing nothing but just being quiet. There's something about the quietness of God's presence. Well, let me just say on the seventh day, they did it seven times around, but on the seventh time, then after quietness, they had a victory shout. As unto the Lord, that praise of thanksgiving that God was going to do what only God could do. I remember many years ago in the 80s, I felt a sense to drive around the city uh, once each day on 610 Loop. We didn't have the Beltway then. And to drive around once each day for, with a group of people uh, just to be quiet and, and to cry out for our city. Because at that time, there was a lot of things happening in our city that were not of God. It was, it was a very difficult time. There were spiritual dynamics in our city that were anti-Christ in many ways. There was much like we see today, but, but for us, it was like pretty extreme. And so we were just saying, God, we need you. So we just drove around quietly once each day for six days. And on the seventh day, I invited a lot of people who wanted to join. We had bus loads and cars, a caravan. Can you imagine driving around the city with people from all different churches and with their lights on like a funeral, but it wasn't a funeral. There were people raising their hands. I was praying they'd be making sure their eyes are still open, praising God. Driving around seven times, and after the seventh time, we gathered at a church, and we'd crossed our racial and denominational lines and generational lines, and we gathered to do what the Scripture said, just to praise the Lord and to give a shout of thanksgiving. 
It didn't seem logical to, to the breakthroughs that we need in the city that was going to happen by us just doing something like that. But if it's in the Bible, it must work. So as we put our hearts before God, we did it. And within two to three days, the media and the newspapers at the time and, and others began to show these breakthroughs that happened. We're thinking, we know how it came. It was the Lord when God's people aligned themselves and God, the master of the breakthroughs, brings the breakthrough in ways that didn't seem humanly possible. Over and over and over, we see these things. So divine intervention by God in Joshua, when they crossed over to see the walls of Jericho come down, which they did after the seventh time. Sometimes it's in our quietness and our introspection in that place of being humbled posture before God, because it's our private posture that affects our public influence. Likewise, it's private choices that bring public consequences. What we do in private, even as believers, if we're living in hidden sin, those things will become exposed. If it doesn't just affect us, it affects our families. It affects the body of Christ. Our private choices have public consequences. So once we take personal responsibility, I think part of that walking around the walls of Jericho is to take that introspection and think, I know that I'm not worthy of this, God. But I'm joining in agreement with you as I just walk around, recognize that I cannot penetrate these, these barriers. I can't bring those walls down. But God, I'm in agreement with you because I know that you're bigger than the barriers. And so I began to cry to God, God, I need a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough. And I began to read Psalm 73 that day on December 31st. And, and I began to share it with my wife. Psalm 73, verse 21 through 26. And I'll read that in a moment, what I wrote down. Because... In Psalm 73, is, you know, some would give it attribution to uh, King David, but it's, it says the song of Asaph. And, and so it's really about this thinking. Have you ever thought out loud with God? You're thinking out loud. You're talking to somebody. You're just bouncing things. You're just thinking out loud. You're not looking for an answer. At first, you're just kind of talking out loud about what you're frustrated about. And it's like the, 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 the song of Asaph that it's, it's talking about, why is it the wicked seem to prosper? Why is it the, the, those that don't, are not righteous seem to be doing what they're doing? It's just not right. And begin to think out loud. But it transitions to where you don't even have to, God doesn't have to answer because now they're already processing and answering their own thinking out loud, their own question. And so in the midst of all these things that are going on, finally he says, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. And I stopped there and said, God, that's so true of what we're going through. My heart is so grieved at what's been happening, not just in the world, but in the church and what we've allowed ourselves to acquiesce to. What happened to saying we believed in the King of kings and Lord of lords, the, the King of the universe, that we serve the creator of the heavens and the earth? God, what has happened to us that we have responded in such iniquities of our own hearts and we've allowed the world to divide us? My heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I remember a friend of mine who was Will McFarlane, who had been um, a lead guitarist for Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown, the pointer, he's in the Hall of Fame and the Music Hall of Fame, and, but he became a Christian, got totally on fire for God. He, he was the one that taught me you could be cool and anointed at the same time. And uh, when he got saved, got radically saved, being from what he was in the world to what he became, it was no nonsense. He was in the word. He was about no compromise in his own life. He didn't criticize others, but he wanted no compromise in his own life. One time he was at a concert with this big new band. You know, things ebb and flow. Things come all the time. We've seen kingdoms 
come up and kingdoms fail. People uh, on the pinnacle of their success and even Christians and, and everybody idolize them to where they fail. It's like there's nothing new under the sun. There's a place of humility and a posture that we must always take. And just like Jeremiah says, when you were nothing in your own eyes, I could do something with you. Yeah. None of us set out to fail. No one says, I can't wait to fail. But somewhere along the line, if we don't hold on to the anchor of God's presence and his God word, as God's word, his character, nature, and spirit, we will find ourselves allowing ourselves to walk in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And so we choose not to criticize or judge, but we choose to say, God, what is it in me that you want me to make sure I'm staying tethered and anchored to you? And so one time there was a, a big concert back in the day, and, and uh, these new, the new names came up, and they were like the, the group now. And they didn't know who he was, and so he was going to be opening up for this group, and he comes up, and he, hey, mind if I just hook in my guitar and just warm up a little bit? You know, I know a lot of musicians, you have to get up and practice before the worship sets and, and singing sets and so on. So he said, may I just hook up? And they go, dude, can't you see what we're up to? We're, we're talking here. These are Christians. And he goes, well, I just wanted to get, you know, I'm getting ready because I'm opening up. Look, we'll let you know when you get up here. Right now, we're talking. And so being as famous as he was, and they didn't know who he was, he walked off. He said, God, I release that vexation out of my spirit. I release it out of my spirit. I humble myself, God, and I'm going to sing as unto you. Of course, after he got done singing and opening up, everybody was giving him standing ovations and wanting him. Later, they go, man, we didn't know who you were. Forgive us. He goes, it shouldn't matter if you, who it was that I was, but that I was a brother in the Lord. And so my heart is grieved at what I see, and I'm vexed in my mind. But nevertheless, I am continually with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. And that reminds me so often to say, God, there's so many times I don't know what door to go through and what door is to close. But God, you open and you close the doors you want open and closed. And God, in fact, I don't trust even that. I just ask you to take me by my hand. And lead me where you want me to go, because you lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You hold me by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. God, I need your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. And I was just thinking about what Leonard Raymond Hill used to tell me all the time, let others live on the raw edge or the cutting edge. You and I should live on the edge of eternity. As I never forget that, if I, if I just never forget that it's not about me, it's not about now only, it's about eternity. And so many lives are on the balance. So many lives are in the valley of decision. And God is wanting and giving us the privilege of his calling to be a part of helping people to get a revelation of who he is so that they can enter into glory when it's that moment for them as well. Whom have I in heaven but you, God? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. I was with Pastor Steve and Becky at, at the Pensacola Revival. And uh, I remember there was a song, and we were way back inside the center of one of the pews there. They didn't have the seats of these pews and, you know, not much room. They didn't give you much space. And we're over there, and I just had my hands up. And our friend Steve Hill was ministering, obviously. And, and I just had my hands up, and they were singing the song that uh, all I want is you. All I want is you. All you're, you're all I need, God. You're all I need. And in that moment... I remember just saying that, and I really meant that, saying, God, really, at the end of the day, it's not about all the stuff. It's not about the accolades. It's not about being successful in vocational ministry. It's not about all that. God, I just need you. I never want to forget that I just need you. And it was in that place, without even opening my eyes, God did such a thing that, that Pastor Steve said he had pictures of me underneath the pew. 
It was one of those moments no man could have done that. It was a God moment that God did something because all I want was God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you, God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 21 through 26. And it reminded me of how many times I process out loud. I look, I see the news. God, what is going Something's got to break here. Something's got to happen. Why are the wicked getting away? Why is this diabolical stuff going to these, these, these globalists and stuff trying to control everything? What is going on, God? And the Lord just reminded me that he's still who he is. He's still the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Jesus hasn't left his throne. He's still on the throne. And we don't see the end yet. But we know this one thing, that our flesh and our hearts may fail, but God is still the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I just said, God... Lead me. Just lead me, Lord. Just remind me that all I need is you. Just lead me by the right hand. Take me in the ways you want me to go. And then Psalm 73, 28 said, It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. It is good for me to draw near, to stay close to God. Right now is a time I believe it's important for us to stay close to God. Amen? Stay close to God. Because I believe it is a time to cross over. Don't just look at what God has promised. It is a time not to even dwell on the wilderness journey and the things we've been through the last couple of years or so. Don't look at those things right now. Yes, we ponder those things, but we don't camp there because God has still given us a destination and a promise, and it's time to get off of this side of the river and to possess the land of God's promises for us. And there are still giants there, but he's still bigger than the giants. There's still Jericho walls and obstacles, but God's bigger than all that. And God says, look, I don't want you to go in there and do it the way that you would do in the natural realm. I want you to do it my way. So let's take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And go with me to verse 7 first. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name's saying. Now watch this. If disaster comes against us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this place or in this temple, and cry out to you in our afflictions, and you will hear and save us. And I've just began to process, what is the one thing the world wants to do to us to get us away from that place of God's promise and away from his presence? What did they say, and Juan Carlos shared this past Wednesday night, that, that what is the one thing that the world does not want us to do? We can call him God. We can call him all kinds of other names, but don't use the name of and if it, the world can separate us from the relationship, I'm not talking about just using the term Jesus flippantly, or now we're into, you know, Yeshua. Okay, we, we understand that, but a relationship with God. 
Because those that know their God shall do great exploits. To know God is not to know about him, but to have a relationship with him. So we draw near to God because he draws near to us. And in that place, in the temple, why would the world try to separate us from the gathering, the corporate anointing, the corporate gathering of worshiping the living God, lifting up the name of Jesus? The world doesn't want us to gain access to the power of heaven, the rivers of living water that flow freely, the busting forth, the master of the breakthrough that comes and busts forth and the rivers of God that bring healing everywhere it goes in and through us for a great harvest. The world doesn't want, but yet in the midst of the sword, the famine, the the obstacles, the, the pestilence, all these things, it says, but you have promised us in this place that you would be our deliverer, that you would save us. How many believe that God is still God? How many of us at times though forget that all the sermons we've heard and all the scriptures we read, when we go through the pressures of the times we've been in, it's easy to forget and respond according to the flesh rather than according to the Spirit of God. We cannot forget what God has already promised. And then he goes on to say, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Meaning the things that come against us, the people that come against us. But we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. When we come to the recognition and humility that we don't know what to do, that all that's going on, we don't have the answer, but we know that God does. So here's what God goes on to say. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son, and it goes on and on and they go on and it says, listen all you and Judah and your inhabitants of Jerusalem and your King Jehoshaphat. Now listen, this is not a person speaking. Now it says, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. When we come to recognize that God is doing some things and the breakthroughs that are coming is not going to be according to what we understand, not in our human intellect or understanding, but it's going to be God himself that says, it's not up to you. I'm going to do some things that I can do if you'll just walk in certain places of alignment with me. And so I began to look at, what God, what are those things? One is, of course, loving his word, getting into his word so that the living word could live in us. The second is the place of worship. There's something about worship. It doesn't have to be loud, but the place of living worshipers offering themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. When we come before the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, and we come before him saying, God, here I am. I offer myself in living sacrifice, offering myself on your altar of my time, my talent, my resources for the advancement of the kingdom because God's about to do a supernatural expansion. As we take that one step, Abraham, when he went out, he didn't know where he was going. He took one step and then another step and then another step. As we obediently take a step of simple obedience, which is the highest form of worship to God, because the first time the word worship is ever used in scripture, the point of first reference is not in the context of singing. It's not in the context of instruments. That's an external expression of what should be going on in our hearts. But the first time the word worship is ever used in Scripture is in the context of obedience to God. If we would be the living worshipers, a step, one step, another step, another step, and then he becomes the father of nations. 
Can you imagine what God is still about to do, what seemed humanly impossible? And then the next thing is, watch what Jehoshaphat does. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. <laughs> we need to position ourselves, and there's a posture in that position. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord is with you. When we understand that, there's nothing too difficult for God. And here's what Jehoshaphat does in verse 18. He says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And I wrote down here, that's a posture of true humility. Recognizing God in my military understanding and as a king. And, and I, I, I'm looking around saying, there's nothing I can do for the people. There's nothing. But God, if you're saying that the battle's not ours, but it's yours. And that God, that we don't have to be afraid or dismayed, but you're going to work on our behalf. Then God, I just bow my head and face the ground. How many of you ever just kind of put your head to the ground and say, God, I need you. And our hands lifted up, our, our eyes to the ground, that posture of humility. And he begins to talk to God. And it says here that the inhabitants of Jerusalem also bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So there is a place of communication with God, hearing from God, talking to God in prayer, that place of now worshiping God. And this is then the Levites of the children began to praise the Lord. There's a place we transition from that quiet introspection with God. That place of getting into his word, letting the word sink into us, recognizing who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And then we go to that place of that humble posture, that private posture, as well as public corporate posture of that place of worship, living worshipers offering themselves to God. And then from there, just like walking around the walls of Jericho, quiet introspection, worshiping God, thinking about pondering the things of God, and all of a sudden, a victory shout, and the walls come crumbling down. Then it's a place of praise. In fact, it goes on to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And it says that even the Levites and the priests went before them, and they went before them praising God. How many know that the tribe of Judah goes into battle before the battle is literally won because God has already won the battle? So I began to jot down these words. It's a place of quiet introspection, a place of getting into his word, a place of communicating with God with authentic relationship and humble posture, not just talking to God and saying what you want, but that place of saying, God, I humble myself before you, recognizing there's nothing I can do, but we need a breakthrough. We need you, the master of breakthrough. And from there, we begin to recognize in that place of worship in that place of the presence of God, now we can begin to shout with praise and thanksgiving. There's something about offering thanksgiving and praise, just like uh, Paul and Silas did in the, in the prison, that they began to praise God, to thank God, and the prison walls opened up. We see Paul speaking about that in Philippians, that we offer ourselves uh, before the Lord in praise and thanksgiving. Why? Because let our request be known to him that we have the supernatural peace of God, the supernatural presence of God that gives us a peace in our hearts and minds because of thanksgiving and gratitude. If we quit seeing the cup half empty and start seeing the cup half full and begin to thank him for what he's already done, just because of who he already is, I always call it just because, because, because. That's the fellowship offering and Levitical sacrifices. Just because, because, because of who he is and what he's already done. We come before the altar, not because we're expecting anything from him, but we come to him saying, God, we worship you just because of who you are and what you've already done. 
It's in that place that God then begins to give us a heart that looks beyond a circumstance and to give not just of our time and talent, but now our resources. How many believe it's time to expand the kingdom? How many believe God wants to expand the kingdom? That means as God is expanding his kingdom, we get to participate with him. It's the privilege of his calling. And to do that, we have to be a people like Cornelius, who wasn't even religious, who now have a heart of generosity. There's something about extravagant generosity that blesses God and brings his presence into our own situations. I've seen time and time again where I didn't have enough, or I didn't think that I had enough, that the fishes and loaves weren't anywhere near enough to take care of the thousands that needed help. But when we offer what we have in thanksgiving with a heart of gratitude, God shows up in this divine intervention for supernatural expansion. This is a time, I believe, to get back to the principles and the key scriptural principles of breakthrough in his presence, in his word, worship, in quietness and in holiness, and then also knowing how to praise with thanksgiving and gratitude in exuberance. All of them are important, but we have to know where we are at that moment. And it's always important for me to first have that personal introspection saying, God, I've been at this a long time, and I don't want to just go through the motions. I need your presence. I need a breakthrough. We, your people, we need a breakthrough. But you're the master of breakthroughs. Remind us, God, that you have given us and empowered us with the capacity to possess the land that you have promised. And no matter how big the Jericho walls are, how tall the giants are in the land, or any obstacles, God, we come before you because we need your divine intervention for supernatural expansion because you are the master of the breakthroughs. I believe God is speaking to us to set in order our own hearts that we would take that time to have personal introspection, saying, God, I don't care how long I've been at this. I know this. I'm nothing without you. Take me by the right hand. And no matter what the world looks like, there's nothing that can help me without your presence. No matter what pestilence, difficulties, challenges, earthquakes, whatever we see, we know this that in the house of the Lord, this place that God has established, God will be with us, and he will break through the, the barriers. He will bring down the walls. He will open those prison gates because God is about to do what only he can do by divine intervention for kingdom expansion. Father, we ask you right now to remind us to worship you in the beauty of holiness. We want to be a people who are living worshipers, who seek your presence in prayer, to love your word. Remind us of your promises, but also, to Lord, to know how to be a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving as we believe you to break through the Bel Perizim, the breaking forth of the rivers of God, the breaking forth from the mercy seat of God, the rivers of God that bring healing everywhere it goes in and through us. And then, God, would you also, in the midst of what seems difficult, would you give us a heart of gratitude and, Father, an exuberant generosity to give for the advancement of the kingdom, for the seed of the soil of souls in greater measure than we've ever given. And, Lord, let us see with our eyes the supernatural intervention of God as we trust you and take each step along the way, not knowing exactly where we're going, but we have the promise of God that each step that you'll begin to expand our capacity, expand the kingdom, and enlarge the borders of our tent. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.